Hi, uh, this is Ross and Stephen and we're starting a podcast called Strongside. We are here in Glassworks Studio with Ross and Lewis and we're going to be covering topics such as mental health and how working with bands and getting involved in the music industry has affected that and Ross and I both sort of ran uh, two different labels through the past sort of six or seven years. Through that we've met lots of people who all have different approaches to life and are interested in different types of music and stuff like that so we're going to get some of them on and we're going to chat to them but we thought that the best way to test the sort of the model of this and see how it would go would be to interview each other and get a good idea of our own backgrounds with mental health and how being involved in the music industry really helped or hindered that um so this is episode one ross tfn records and cruel minded and stephen struggle town and generally doing graphics for every band that was about at the time. <laughs> so, when you first started Thanks For Nothing Records, what was it that you were hoping to achieve? Uh, I think, you know, honestly for me, I was, uh, it was about community for me at the very beginning. Like me and a bunch of my friends who had like other kind of common interests in music, we all wanted to attach to something and kind of meet more people. Uh, we all got a kind of joy of being around each other and having music as a thing that kept us together. But we did want to branch out, and I think that, to be honest, that was the real reason that TFN became a thing. Yeah, that that that's similar to what kind of happened with Struggle Town. I think we actually initially started it not as like a, not as a serious thing. We were kind of trying to provide a platform and hope that someone kind of was almost fooled into thinking that we'd release the record through this label and and think, oh, that we'd better take that seriously. If you yeah. know what I mean. So I was just kind of. Like you say, I was sick of like having lots of good friends who had amazing bands, who just there was no one representing them or helping them to release music, and it it was something that interested me a little bit, but it kind of scared me a lot, and it was just through doing that first release that I kind of. I got excited about it, and and it just couldn't couldn't stop from there. Um, but yeah, I think the community aspect of it is something that really surprised me. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but like when you first you start meeting, different people who are involved in like punk and hardcore bands. There's a lot of like-minded people in a lot of similar chat. Like a lot of people talk about DIY scene and and how like helping each other out, and it becomes a total global thing. Like you, you spread out from from your own city quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it seems like a very similar sort of approach that we had. Um, at what point while when you were running TFN did you think, oh, this is a thing now? Like it wasn't just like a sort of project that you had in mind. Like you were like wait a minute, people are coming to the shows or buying, like, was there a point you really clicked and thought, here, we have something good here? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's one of the weird things. I think when I look back on it, like, I, I'll be honest, I cringe a little bit because one of the things we did was a battle of the bands and looking back on it, I am like, it does make me cringe to, the, like, the depths of my soul. However, it made me realise that we were onto something because in, at the final, we did it in Ivory Black, so it was quite good. There was six bands um, and we had, like, 130 people there. And for something that we had started five months previous, I was like, right, this is actually quite cool. It's growing arms and legs. Let's keep this going. I think any fears or doubts I had in myself that it wasn't going to go anywhere were kind of quelled for a bit that night when I thought that people, oh, they're on board, they're interested. Now I just need to find a way to connect with them and, and make sure the music's good. So from that, did you <coughs> see a potential audience for releases or was it, I think you started it as a record label but kind of did a bunch of shows and then yeah when yeah. did the sort of releases come into the sort of picture 
Well, the purpose of the Battle of the Bands was to find out, the, was to pick two bands. Well, one band that we were going to release, we ended up picking two. But I think I realised that one of the bands, Heavy Hands, had a specific following, and it was very, very genre-specific. And I knew that I could capitalise on that, in a sense. Mm-hmm. I knew that if I did want to take a band forward and put out music, they already had an element of following that would be... that I could release two, knowing that it might have a bit of success. Yeah, for sure. Well, was that kind of the same with Struggle Town? Like, I know you guys did a bit differently from us. In a sense, I think, probably to to my discredit, I, I, I didn't ever consider necessarily how many we would sell or whether the band particularly had a following because I was it should have concerned me because it, finan- it is at the end of the, the day a financial thing. You put money into it, you want to see it come back. But for me, it was always about who the people were and was their music good. Mm-hmm. There were so many like that that it quickly piled up into a queue of things that I wanted to release. Um, and not all of them were possible, but I kind of tried my best to find a way to either... when Once we got the block monthly showcases, mm-hmm. that kind of kept things rolling along and we were able to do bands, you know, regularly. I mean, by the end of the block run, we had put on something like 70 shows in there. So, you know, that, that we needed a lot of bands. So there was always a place for them to, to play and, and it gave them the chance to, for other people to get involved and help out releasing mm. their records and stuff like that. So we, we started working with pop punk bands who at the time weren't super popular, especially not in Glasgow. It was really difficult to get the kids excited about that kind of thing. Um, there was there was a few bands coming along like Man Overboard and Transit and stuff like that who were still kind of popular, but it was certainly heading in a, a different direction. Your, uh, your Moose Bloods and your, you know, it's a, it's a different sound to the sort of straight up American pop punk that Wolves at Heart play. Um, so it was difficult to find that sort of target audience uh, but as we moved on we, we kind of branched into everything we did a bit of hardcore we did a bit of punk rock we did a bit of indie rock we did a bit of everything I think that just kind of ties in with my music taste mm-hmm. uh, to, to a certain extent um, so yeah it was it was, a, it, was just, it was a different approach but I don't think I think at the end of the day when you're releasing a record for a band the, the key is to try and get it to as many people as possible and to try and obviously that's how you do it you sell yeah. you sell them to people so um, getting them in front of the people that will like it and see in those early days like obviously Wills at Heart was big for, well I would say Wills at Heart was the first Struggle Town release I definitely noticed and Wills at Heart were the first band that I was like whoa who is who or what is Struggle Town because we didn't know each other then yep. what are they doing this is cool I mean the first thing I ever heard about uh, Wills at Heart was supporting Senses Fail Man Overboard at the ABC2 yep. and I just kind of met here um, what what was it like in those kind of initial days? Because obviously you just started it. You you didn't know what it was going to be like. You didn't know how it was going to go. You didn't really know you had that audience. I think it's easy to be naive early on, and you kind of think, oh, this is the ball is rolling. People are buying this CD, or people are are buying this, and people are saying positive things about it. This is really great. This mm-hmm. is definitely exciting, and it is exciting. I mean, regardless, like I say, the numbers and the money was never important, but it's easy to think, oh, this is going to spiral. It's going to like grow and grow and grow. And, uh, you know, we sort of, we branched out the different things. We did, like, the offside re-release, which was, like, a tiny thing. And we did just various things that sort of kept the ball rolling. But, like, it wasn't until Nick got involved and kind of pushed us to try, you know, approaching bigger bands, people that we, that he kind of knew a bit more personally or that once we'd approached them, we knew personally when we worked with Into Over It, doing that show, he was super positive and, like, really liked the idea of what we were doing and, mm-hmm. and, he was happy to support what we were doing. Uh, 
So when we got in touch with him, he jumped on board mainly to try and help his friend Wesley from the Great Albatross with that split seven inch to try and sort of create that uh, because he knew that he had a name and people would buy that seven inch for him to over it and flip it over and hear the Great Albatross record. Um, but I think, I think that's kind of where maybe my personality or the, the things that, that worry me a wee bit has kicked in because I could see it was it was mounting and building a wee bit. We got we ended up putting out a record for Shook Ones, who were one of my favourite bands, like still are, and like I ended up t- talking to Kelly, the guitar player, and that's one of the coolest things that ever came out of it. But even then, I was just like, oh, I don't know if I'm ready for this. Like I I, I knew that it wouldn't be a job, and I knew I wouldn't be able to like sustain it. But would it get to a level where it'd be difficult to balance? Or yeah. you know, we were chatting to Run for Cover, who were really keen for us to like help their releases get out over here, and it was that. I mean, that was a really exciting time, but it was also pretty terrifying because I was thinking to myself oh I, I kind of started this label as a joke but here I am putting out legitimate releases mm-hmm. and, and people are really getting excited about it um, and I don't know I would probably say it was that anxiety about it that kind of held me back and maybe didn't tip it over the edge into becoming more of a viable thing do you think that was from like a pressure perspective like obviously if you have like Nick saying sorry Nick from Run For Cover saying we want you to assist us with these releases, which are huge over here for us, but we want you to be, like, say, a European arm of yeah. what... So you've then got that pressure, oh, my God, I know. And now that's added pressure. How am I going to do this with my job? And my, uh, how do you juggle all those things? Yeah, I think, it, I think it was a little bit of that. I mean, I would have been more than more than up for trying to figure it out and, and get, get it going, but I think people sort of sensed that hesitance that I wasn't grabbing the bull by the horns and, like, oh, we're going to make this label, like, a real thing. And uh, I think that's probably down to me trying to take everything on myself and trying to do everything like I was you know mailing everything out I was assembling everything like there was a night when all the into over at records came in that Nicola and I sat and put I think we had to mail out it was the biggest pre-order we ever had I think we had to mail out 110 copies Mm -hmm. so I had to make sure that they were all ready and packaged and like most of them are going to the states so I had to actually buy the postage in advance so I had like all these stamps I paid for I like I bought something crazy like four hundred pounds worth of postage from the post post office and they just gave me it in stamps. So I mean I loved it. Like that that's that whole DIY approach that I really wanted to have. But like sitting in the living room doing this, I was like, oh this is big, this is weird. Yeah. You know? It felt really strange. But it was it was super cool at the same time. So it's just kinda like I guess there was that there was that pressure and then just as as like life rolls along, like I got another job and there wasn't as much time out with that to kinda keep mm-hmm. keep on top of it it's kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit. But I think ironically for me, and I don't know if this is the same for you, this is one of the things I wanted to ask you, I feel like I've been more anxious and found it harder since I haven't been putting on shows all the time, since I haven't been working on releases with people all the time. Because I had it as a total touch point of like, this is where I'm, re- not relevant, but like this is where I fit into like this crowd. You know, I had people... Yeah asking me to do demo covers for them and posters for them and I just felt like part of this world if you know what I mean and it, when you take a step back from it and you're not immersed in it all the time do you did you find that that maybe triggered something where you started to f- not maybe question your sort of position like you thought oh I used to be the guy that did all that and then now I'm not but it's still happening you know what I mean it's like yeah. happening without me yeah I think I'm, I'm definitely one of those people that I don't get to go to shows a lot now and it is literally just from work and like I'm planning a wedding and yeah. I've got other hobbies that I've kind of picked it up when I've not been doing shows but I'm definitely one of those people that looks back and goes geez I had that 
I was I was doing that and that was cool and I had this connection that connection and I was doing this and that and that was great. I think my Instagram like it says I used to be cool. It's like the yeah. tag and like I think I look at that and I say to myself that is how I feel sometimes. Like I I feel like those years are definitely behind me, but I miss them, yeah. and they definitely gave me an outlet for any anxiety I had. I didn't feel like it was as gripping. Yeah. Back then, even though I would say I would definitely put myself out there more, yeah, I was definitely put like allowing people into my life a lot more, and I was connecting with a lot more people. I didn't feel as anxious. It's kind of an unusual thing for me. I I, I don't know if this is the same for you, but like when, whenever I was putting on a show, there would be a period of anxiety where I would worry that people weren't going to come. Yeah, and it would be that sort of calm before the storm where everybody's setting up and stuff, and you're kind of on your own because even though the band are there, you're kind of like the one with the responsibility. You know, even, especially when I did things like Struggle Fest, I would think. I mean, a lot of your shows were that level, you know. I mean, like, mm-hmm. either loads of bands or like, a lot of a lot of people expected to come, kind of thing, like or or like big pressure. So I would feel that amount of pressure, and then as soon as that trickle of people came in the door, you would just switch into like, right, this is cool. I've got this. I just yeah. need to be on it. I just need to make sure the bands are happy. I just need to make sure this is ticking over, and then you just kind of run on that adrenaline until the end of the yeah, show. It's like good repping, and then you're like. Oh. That went fine. That was great. You and know? it feels like it was over in five minutes. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. I, I think it's really weird for people who are anxious people to put themselves in that position because it is a lot of responsibility. Well, it is, and I think sometimes I look at situations that I, I'm in now, which I would say they're nowhere near as stressful. There's probably not as much pressure on me individually, but I find them a lot harder to get myself into. Like, even just day-to-day things, like, I'll just... If, if I'm having, like, a day where I'm, like, kind of struggling about in my head and... And, like, I, I'm trying to talk myself out of doing things and I'm trying to find that excuse that I can tell people as to why they would. I, these are situations where I'm under next to no pressure. Yeah. I just don't want to do them. It's not laziness or anything, it's just my mind's telling me I don't want to do them. But then I would have ones where I'm dealing with, like, Americans, with tour managers, with people who I've never met, who I need to put up and feed and make sure they're attended to all their needs. That was, like, second nature to me. Yeah. But then there's other, like, what I'd say pretty normal day-to-day tasks that just hit me like a ton of bricks sometimes and I don't know how to split that up because on paper I know which one looks more stressful I just don't know why I could cope with one way or another for sure for sure um one of the things I was interested to find out was I know personally running a label for me was basically feeling it out and just seeing what happened and, Mm -hmm. and like looking at what other people were doing and basically either copying them or emulating them or asking them how they did it was there anything that you did when you were running TFN that you were like oh man that was a huge mistake I wish we hadn't done that or or just something that you could have done that you missed out on that just like that still feels like oh man if that is just the one thing that we could have like achieved yeah there was a few like I think late on in TFN like two years in I started just being kind of ballsy Mm -hmm. and just messaging bands and be like yo what's happening like let's do a release and that paid off nearly every time I've done it but there was a, quite a few missed opportunities like I don't know if I'm allowed to say this but I can say I don't really it doesn't bother me anymore yeah. but like we passed up on Malevolence like just before they oh, get signed man. to Siege of Amida which we, I say passed up they had three tracks they wanted to put out or, and it was Serpent's Chokehold all the stuff that went on their first album like mm. the, the the ones that kind of made them who they are and well done to them for what they've done but we were in talks to do that and I was like looking back on what if we had Yeah. I just couldn't conjure up the cash but what if we could have done that so that was always bad because I think in my head I was nervous about making that monetary decision. It's a real tricky one. I mean, there are definitely bands that I looked at when they sent me music and thought, maybe personally it's not for me. 
I don't think it's going to be popular either. Yeah. And then I was totally wrong as well. And I think that's something that you you have to be you have to try and guess, especially when you're dealing with like super tight budget. Like you're like Oh, and usually you've got your mate. You're like, oh, I said I would do his tape, man. You <laughs> yeah. know, I need, I need like a hundred quid set aside for that, and they yeah. were wanting it. And it's just, it's tricky. I mean, I guess the the same sort of situation for me isn't isn't really a missed opportunity, but it's just something that if it had been managed better, would have like definitely worked better. Mm-hmm. Like by the time the sort of shook ones, death is not glamorous record came out, and this is is more due to run for cover, but run for cover were growing. And growing and growing and massive and they were doing a ton of releases so it got delayed and got delayed and by the time it actually got released both bands had stopped being active and death is not glamorous is like split up forever shook ones are one of those bands that are like yeah maybe we'll play the next time like we all get i mean they, they still play but it just timing wise meant that what would have been not a household name record but a record that loads of people would have had in their house on their shelf because they would have been on tour and they would have picked it up yeah is now in boxes in my house you know it's just it's just one of those things and it's like don't get me wrong i'm still so stoked to be involved in it i'm still so proud that that our logo is on there yeah but it's for me it's just a shame that fewer people because there are the people out there that are like want that that won't get it because they they don't have the chance to pick it up at a show or mm. you know so that's something that I'd look back on and think, oh, that could have went better, but... But do you think, like, that's one of those things I've always wondered, because, I mean, similar things happen to me that you know about with Frontline, and, like, we, we put, a, put a record out and then they break up. Yeah. And then there's just like, oh, okay, okay, cool. But do you think that's... I always think that's one of those ones where I look back and I go, but yeah, that was completely with my control. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, me and you and the kind of labels we ran, we weren't trying to manage people. No. We were trying to help our mates and, yep. and do good things for, like, a little scene that we were part of. But then I go back and think, what if I'd been a bit of like a hard ass on them and been like, no, 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 you will play it. Like, was that yeah. me? And, and nah, I think would that I have made a difference to TFN or if, in your case, would it made a different struggle? Probably not. For sure, <laughs> I definitely didn't want to start. That was one of my main things. I didn't want to start like ruining relationships. A lot of times, later on, like we would become friends through working on a release or working on a show. But that was always the main thing was that I maintained that sort of friendship with mm-hmm. people and and that just. I just would have... I didn't want it to become a job. I was in a really fortunate position. I actually ended up at a, an interview for a booking position and I realised how little I wanted that to be my job mm-hmm. when they were talking about how, oh, you'll have to book bands that you don't personally like. And the, and I, I think, you know, that's fine if that's your job and that's what you want to do for a career. That's totally great. But I was, in a, I was really lucky throughout the whole thing that there was maybe two bands in the hundreds of bands I ever worked with that I was like, mm, I probably wouldn't work with them again. Yeah. They were all super nice people and it must be difficult to do that, to turn up in a different city every night and go, hi, uh, we're going to play our hearts out to everyone, however many people you've managed to muster <laughs> and then you're going to give us a few quid and we're going to get something to eat and we're going to go to yeah. the next place or sleep on your floor. Like, with slow light we've only done that like a wee bit and it's always been with people i already know that we've stayed with and stuff like that or like that i've put on the show but i can only well i I know from my point of view as the promoter i wanted to make them feel super welcome but i know that that's not always the case so it does whenever i see someone setting out on that early level i think i really hope there are good people out there that are like up for treating you well and like you know at least understanding that you're like a person at the end of the day like it's just such a difficult difficult thing in the UK particularly I think I mean I'm sure this similar things exist everywhere but I feel like in the UK there isn't that as good of a network or as strong of a network of like other bands and other promoters who 
mean that it's easy to find them because they mm. are there. I think they do exist in every city. It's just if you're not in the right circles, you might not find those people that are like, yeah, I'll put on, I'll put on your band. I'll make yeah. sure you get paid and a nice place to sleep and like I'll, I'll be nice to you and like make sure you have a nice time when you're in my city. So, like, yeah, that's just something that's super important to me. So like, and I think it always kind of came through though. I think like. Me and you, obviously, we, we met through music. We didn't really know each other before. But from very early on, like, I got to know the fact that you were, like, a good person. And, like, in all honesty, like, it's easy for me to say it now, but at that time, people who were nice people doing what we did were few and far between. Yeah. Like, I don't... Like, it's not about badness. It's just there was genuineness from you. Mm. Whereas there was other people who I would deal with who would maybe shout me down and say what I was going to do wasn't going to do well, that kind of thing. And, I mean, I was still at college. I was only... 21 like yeah. I was super young for the, in the scheme of things mm-hmm. and for people to tell me oh you're not going to do well I think that kind of stoked the fire and say maybe but to do well yeah and I, d- I don't know but was that kind of the same for you did you have any like naysayers or anybody that kind of yeah I think so I think in a lot of things people people's negativity did definitely pushed me to do it to continue doing it the same way I wanted to do it um I remember it's kind of unrelated but I remember when I went for my my job in the art store I told them I ran a not-for-profit record label mm-hmm. and uh the the owner of the company was just like there's no such thing as not for profit what does that even mean and I was just like it's not we're not doing it to make money all the money goes back into doing more records and mm-hmm. doing more releases and he just couldn't get his head around why you would want to do that and I was like because it keeps it moving it keeps it going forward and it was actually another another promoter who uh Hashim who did hot cocktail DIY I mean in many ways an outspoken person and pretty problematic and and some senses but he said something to me that really rung true and he was just like if you got money from that show put it into the next show yeah. like just keep it rolling because you don't know when you're going to need that extra 15 quid that you're going to buy food or you're going to get a taxi because the next time you could fall short and not have the money to pay the band and then at least you have the backup and i was just like yeah there is a lot of a lot of sense to that a lot of people would just be like yay yeah. <laughs> you know run off to the pub with it or whatever but i think that that's what we tried to do um obviously a lot of the times i was sort of adding to that and f- like yeah. funding things and trying to keep it going but um buying writers or saying yeah <laughs> it's one of those things um for sure so i think that was one of our detriments if i'm honest that people thought that we took the money for yeah. the longest time like because we had like shows where there would be like 100 150 200 people whatever mm. people were like oh well, they must be pocketing the money and it was like no we 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 like i think i'll be honest like i took money in the last tfn show yeah. I paid everybody a little bit. I got people food and shit, and then I was like, do you know what? What's the last what else am I going to do? Like... I think I put half into Crow Minded and bought like £500 from Rev's Distro. Yeah, man. And then I just was like, well, there's, there's, that was like, if I've done anything, then me and Pete, like, no, we, well, we kind of like... worked for it in a way. And it didn't really go very far. It went like, <laughs> I think we went to the catty yeah. <laughs> and we bought a couple of rounds, but it wasn't like it was groundbreaking money that was going to set me up for life. I mean, it was just like, just what else am I going to do with it? And but no, for sure. And I think there is there is a point to that as well. I mean, it is work. Yeah, it's, it was so a lot of the time it's work. And if you don't sort of take take a little bit of reward from it, then you're probably just going to start resenting it as well. Yeah. I think it wasn't, it's not resentment as such, but I, I used to kind of get a bit like, it might sound big headed, but it was like, I've been doing this for like five years. Why is it that like I'll do a show and people will like the post or go on mm. the Facebook page? but won't actually come and all that does is fuel your anxiety about the show yeah you you just think to yourself like what you touched upon earlier like when you said about the 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 hour before the show and you're like 
no one is going to come to this show. Yeah. I'm going to lose so much money. And then when you do have that engagement, you're like, oh, so like 200 people on Facebook say they're going to go. Yeah, and then and you then, get 12 and you're like, oh, <laughs> how does that translate? Like, you know, I mean, everybody's busy or it's raining or whatever. It's yeah. just it's just a pain in the arse. Um, I suppose one, one of the things I was interested in, when we first met up to chat about this, because this is an idea that we that you had mm-hmm. and I stole and then we sort of came <laughs> together to try and do it together, which is one of the coolest things about you, I think, is that you're flexible like that. You're not, like, protective of it. You're like, no. let's collaborate, let's do it together. We've so, always been pining for the right thing to do together. We've been yeah, saying it for sure. years. We would try and find something, and I think this is it, so yeah. So when when we first met up to talk about it, um, I was saying how I had only recently kind of identified that what was going on was anxiety, mm-hmm. and you really encouraged me to go and speak to someone. Yeah. Um, when was it that you realised that what, like, all these little things that come up and cause problems day-to-day was anxiety uh, I think I think I was in denial for the longest time and I'd say the longest time right up until probably last year this year last year and that was me like just hiding it like I'd say like my immediate knew like my fiance knows or well, she knew at the time my mum had an inkling yeah. my grand before she passed away like she knew because these were the people that I would kind of confide in mm-hmm. but then it started I started a new job and I realised that and I'd just get engaged so my world and I'd bought a house or a flat and my world was changing to the point where I had all these responsibilities that I wasn't used to. They were no different from the responsibilities I had before. Like I've been with my fiance for eight years. Yep. <laughs> I had another job that was just as demanding and then I, I lived in a flat where I had to pay for it. So yeah. I had them, but I think when people say, oh, you have this and you have that, I think the real anxiety kicked in when I realised that as, as grim as this sounds, a chapter in my life closed. Yeah. Like that sounds really weird to say out loud, but I think... I stopped doing Cruel Minded at the end of last year and I think for me at that point it was like, whoa, like that's that's an actual chapter closer. That's it's a decision, isn't it? It's yeah. a decisive change of like... Because I, I, I said, when I stopped Cruel Minded, I was like, I'm not doing shows anymore. Yeah. I was like, I might do the odd charity show if I feel like it, but just because I like doing charity shows. But I was like, I'm done with shows. Mm-hmm. And Did you expect that would be the... Did you think that would be a load off your mind? or did Yeah. So when it was kind of... The opposite, were you, like, surprised? Like So much. So I thought, do you know what? Like, I won't have shows, I can relax. Started playing American football again. I thought everything would be... I just, I think I thought, because I hadn't really been suffering as bad before, I'll be fine, I'll be it'll be good. I maybe thought in the back of my mind, shows was the stress. Yeah. And then I don't need to deal with that anymore. I don't need to look at emails, I don't need to chase bands, I don't need to worry about riders, I don't need to worry about advance. I don't need to worry about that. Yeah. That's it. I can just go about having a good time with my sis, see my pals. Yeah. Was that. But then it got worse and I don't know what it was. No. No idea. See, I, I, I was trying to think about this as well because um, last year I became a dad, which is huge and fantastic mm-hmm. and the coolest thing ever. And, you know, Mona is the absolute world to me. But obviously that comes with a lot more responsibility, you mm-hmm. know, uh, and I, I want it. Like, I want to be home and I want to see her all the time. Mm-hmm. But that translates to someone who is out two three nights a week at shows not necessarily drinking and hanging out but like you know chatting to people and like getting all that social interaction yes i would get anxious and like i said there would be that sort of like wave Mm. and then i would like get over it and then i would feel but i think that feeling of like having a a purpose yeah and coming home even at like 11 o'clock at night half 11 at night and being knackered and going to work the next day i just i was so used to it and like i've been doing it for so long and like it 
almost instantly sort of evaporated. I tried <laughs> to kind of keep it running, but then it just wasn't feasible. And I'd, I just felt bad, to be honest with you. Like, there was a few times I'd be standing, not at a show I was putting on, but I'd be standing watching bands, and I would just wish I was at home. Because even though Mona was asleep or whatever, I'd just be like, I've missed seeing her, you know, just... And and it's good, like, I, I still enjoy it, and I still enjoy the music, but that kind of overrode it. But the more that went on, and the more I sort of let it go and let it go to the point where I was basically never never doing it, mm. I realised that I was going from, like, interacting with, like, 30, 40, 50 different people in a week to seeing the people at work, seeing Nicola Mona, seeing the people at work, seeing Nicola Mona every night. And I just wasn't getting that fulfilment of, like, yeah. just no, like just talking about either bands that I enjoy or talking nonsense or just, you know, meeting my friends. And I think that was really key. Um, and obviously, like I said, you'd sort of push me to, to chat to yeah. someone about it. So that's something that I've done, which was a massive step. It was really terrifying to sort of go and, so yeah, you know, yourself. Um, and uh, I, I kind of explained a lot of this stuff to her and she kind of said the same thing. She was like, you need that like as an adult you need that sort of outlet like mm -hmm. you can't you have to let yourself go and do that stuff or you will end up being less there when you're there because you wish you were out or you know you need to find a balance kind of thing and I think that's something I kind of struggle with I'm a kind of person that always tries to do the right thing or tries to figure out what the right thing is and do that continually mm. but sometimes you kind of have to do something that might be perceived as other people as the wrong thing which is take time for yourself and go out and like have a chat and see some bands or do whatever it is that like makes you feel better yeah just as a release you know well i think that and because i, I think i stopped and i think i was ashamed of going back for a bit yeah i think and then when i did go back people were like oh what are you doing here you're a dropout oh, that's and the, i'm yeah. like oh well mm, okay that's Get an in. interesting thing like that sort of sh like you can spend five or six years building up a scene and like helping everybody to climb yeah. up and then you stop doing it for five minutes and suddenly they're all like oh are oh, you too good for us now yeah not even that and just like <laughs> like it's a sort of like the you owe it to us to continue doing that because you yeah. were good at it and it's like yeah i was good at it but other people can do it like yeah 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 take responsibility and like step up and do it you know that's what i love like i think for like the longest time like there's a kid called andrew jack who is a really good friend of mine and him and he'd started a thing basically called trial by fire and in, in the very early days like he was like oh i'm never gonna be able to do what you did him and i was like dude that's that's horseshit like you yeah. you absolutely will be able to do things better than i did Mm -hmm. Like, there was people before me who I still look at and go, they were doing amazing things, and I still... I'm envious of the things that they achieved. Yeah. And then I was like, you do you, and just have a good one and enjoy it. And then he's... Obviously, a couple other guys on board, like Sean from uh, Revolve and stuff, and a couple other guys, and they're killing it. They're doing some amazing shows, and they're taking risks on shows that I never would have took. Yeah, And sure. that's, for me, I'm like, well done. Do you know what I mean? It's, so it's good for me to see that... I, obviously that proverbial pass of the torch went very well and sure. it's it's good because there's younger people involved and they're just continuing what we all did I think that seems like a really good time to sort of wrap up because I think one of the key messages that I've always I've always tried to say to other people who come along to our shows is that you can do this anyone can yeah. do it it's it is about getting a little bit of knowledge and background about what what's the best way to do it but mm. trial and error <laughs> is one of the best ways to uh, <laughs> is one of the best ways to feel it out Speak to someone, say, I want to put on a show, mm -hmm. what do I need to know? There are a million bands that need shows, there are a million venues that need filled. Yeah. You will be able to achieve it. And see, for me, see, I was getting I, I was getting a bit more anxious at the end of doing Crow Minded because I didn't really have a lot of time to do it. 
Um, and then me and other boys that did it, we all had really different varying tastes in what we actually liked. Yeah. And it was kind of leading us down paths that ugh, we would just like disagree on shows and it was just getting a bit less fun, you know. Yeah. And we were all still really good pals and that, but we were just disagreeing on a lot of like, what do we get in for the distro? What do we do? Yeah. So I was like, right, you know what? It's getting a bit, it's getting a bit hectic. Let's just... But I was anxious about leaving it without any shows. Yeah, yeah. So when Andy did come, when Andy Jack did come to me and say that he was thinking about starting something, I think I was trying to encourage him more out of probably being selfish. Like, as a get-out clause. Yeah, yeah, like, if you keep doing it, then I don't have to do it. Well, and that... Because then I was like, I'll be less anxious if I know that people have shows to go to. Because if I know that people don't have shows to go to, that would make me stressed out. For sure. I mean, when we... When I was quitting the block thing, that was really difficult for me um, because they'd been so good to us and they'd given us a platform for free where they pay the bands every month for five years, you know, and that's mm-hmm. amazing. Like, we couldn't have done half of what we did. A lot of what we did was funded entirely by those shows um, because it would be the local band that we were releasing or whatever. And I had to find a replacement. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't pass that on and just be like, any old person can take this. So I was really happy to give it over to Fraser, who does amazing shows and always did and now he's got what we had which is like that nice secure this is a monthly slot you know people will come it'll be well attended it'll be a fun thing so yeah I think I totally see what you, where you're coming from like having someone to sort of pass the torch over to you feel like you owe it to yeah the scene do you know what I mean like you feel like you owe like especially when you did as much as we did like over like the same kind of five six year period you feel like you can't leave it like it is yours to be passed on to someone. Mm. It's weird. It's like a title belt. Does that make any sense? Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah. like you're the like you've got the belt and you need to pass it down to the the new person. Well, yeah. I I don't know if I ever felt like it was a not like a championship. More like no. a big heavy responsibility. Mantle yeah, to someone else to take. <laughs> yeah, no, that hurts sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> in a positive way. In a positive way, I suppose. Um, so yeah, will we wrap up episode one? Yeah, there. I think we can. I think that's the best way to do it. Um, we're planning to have some cool people to talk to uh, keep an eye out for the next one um, we're lining up excellent guests so this has been Strongside and apologies if it's been a bit gibberish we are still learning but hope you like it and if you get any feedback do please hit us up on all relevant channels I'm looking for advice on what to do with my hands <laughs> so uh, please comment thanks cheers <laughs> thanks <laughs> <laughs> excellent excellent sign off <laughs>